0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is the Python Community News, the show that brings you the non-PIP installable news around the Python community. Uh, Back in my actual studio in San Diego, I'm Jay Miller, and with me as always... Still from New York, I'm
1: John Bonifato.
0: John, I just realized my door is open, and I'm going to close that door, but... I'm going to start by saying we have some very big meta-ish PCN news to cover. Uh, why don't you tell everybody about our new Twitter account?
1: I will. So, uh, yeah, if you've been following along the podcast and the, and the YouTube live stream so far, uh, you know we've been doing uh, all of these streams from uh, the YouTube channel you're watching right now, uh, which is Jay's, Jay's own YouTube channel, but uh, we have some, some pretty important announcements around that. Uh, So we've got a brand new Twitter account for Python Community News. Follow that. We're going to be tweeting about uh, the actual news stories we're covering, uh, along with announcements for the the live streams and the podcast. Um, In addition to that, we have a a new YouTube channel that you're going to be able to follow, too. Uh, So you'll be able to subscribe there, um, get notifications about all of these live streams, as well as check out our, our previous uh, previous streams for the VODs. Um, and then uh, finally, Jay, um, you're gonna be going to DjangoCon next week. We've talked about this a bunch before, uh, but now you're not gonna be there just as a keynote speaker.
0: Yeah, I mean, I feel like I am doing all of the things at DjangoCon right now. Um, I've got, I've actually got someone picking up stickers, which, hey, I'm gonna have stickers because we are, an official community sponsor of DjangoCon. Uh, I'm gonna scroll to the bottom with the community members there. Uh, So alongside of the PSF and the DSF and DEFNA is boom, Python Community News, where uh, I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna have stickers, I'm giving a talk, I'm gonna be also doing a booth thing for work, but I'm also gonna be interviewing people to hear what they Think that the Python community should know more about outside of pip installable things. So, if you've ever wanted to be on the show, uh, next week is your chance. Come find me at DjangoCon, and we will uh, we'll do a quick, probably like one to two minute interview and get your thoughts a- as well.
1: And I'll be I'll be participating online, so uh, not in San Diego as much as I wish it could be. But I'll, I'll be I'll be joining you know through the chat platforms, uh, and and definitely tuning into all those uh, excellent talks that that, that are going to be presented there, uh, plus some of the exclusive online only content. So, join me there if you haven't. Uh, virtual stick, uh, virtual tickets are still uh, still on sale.
0: Yeah, and I mean not to mention that this might. You know, this might be the start of something you see more often where we're at conferences and we're wanting to get feedback from people and maybe we'll have a little bit of swag that we can give you as well. But um, hopefully our goal here is to not just bring news from the community, but bring news actually from people in the community. Uh, And the only way that we can do that is by getting out there and talking with with everyone. So hopefully you'll see us more at events like this. Um, John, I might've missed it, but did you already cover that? We also have a wonderful new, uh, GitHub org that people can go to, to submit their topics. I did not cover that yet. No. So we, we have
1: a a GitHub organization, uh, and a repository, uh, called topics, um, that you can use to send us any information you want to, you want to share with the Python community about the Python community. Yeah, That's so github.com slash python dash community dash news slash topics.
0: Yeah, and our our goal here is to make it as easy as possible for people to let us know the things that are going on. If, if you just saw something that was a pass by, just tweet it at us at PyCommunityNews. If you have some time to fill out the details, please help us out with that by uh, submitting one of those issues. And everything is still the same in terms of issues. We still have great templates to help you figure out what type of content it is and and how it's going to be most impactful. Uh, That said, John, do we want to jump into some of our main topics?
1: Yeah, let's do it. Um,
0: So we shared, uh, I think a couple of weeks
1: ago um, that the Django uh, developer survey for 2022 is up and accepting responses. And uh, in addition to that, uh, the Python community developer survey is, is now also online.
0: Yeah, and this is a big one. This is the one that, you know, at the beginning of the year, everyone is sharing the links of like, oh, hey, you know, this is this is what people in the Python community think. And it's, you know, tens of thousands of people fill out this survey. That being said, there are more than tens of thousands of people using Python. So as I know John is adamant about fill out the survey, let your voice be heard. It is up now and I encourage everyone to, to go fill it out. And I'm going to do a quick little thing and throw it throw the link on the screen there, uh, in case you're wondering how you can do that. Yeah. So be sure to go fill out that survey.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a relatively short survey. It takes 10 or 15 minutes. Um, there are a bunch of questions about the way you use Python, the kinds of libraries you use, et cetera, um, and uh, as, as well as a couple of freeform uh, text boxes where you can share additional thoughts with the PSF. But uh, yeah, I mean, it it doesn't take very long at all to actually get your answers, you know, recorded and sent to, sent to the PSF. And this is one of the best ways you can actually make your your opinions heard about Python and Uh, the future and direction of both the language and the ecosystem.
0: And, And I can tell you as, you know, someone whose job is to advocate for Python developers, like big companies look at this data and they use that to kind of direct where they're going to be, you know, focusing in the upcoming year. So if you have a thing that, you know, you would like to see more of, if you have a focus that you wish there was more attention brought to, like, Filling out surveys like this one, especially this one, uh, is probably one of the best ways to get your opinion and your thoughts, like in front of the eyes of the people who make those products. Speaking of the, you know, big companies, uh, we had a couple of big events that happened this week. The first one, uh, MetaConnect, happened, and I'm, I'm sure people are wondering, like, okay, what does this have to do with Python things? this is definitely like a conversation that I want to have with John about kind of the future of Python work. Um, Mark Zuckerberg wants me to believe that it's all in the metaverse. uh, And uh, he's kind of doubling down on that with this, this new meta quest pro, which uh, is a $1,500 headset. It's 40% slimmer than the previous Oculus quests. Um, You know, Bigger storage, brand new chip in it, eye tracking, all of these things. And they even announced some partnerships with uh, some big companies like Zoom, Microsoft for Teams, uh, Adobe. Uh, I think they even said something about like Autodesk. They have support with Autodesk now. Uh, My question to you, John, is, is this going to change how Python developers interact and collaborate across the Internet?
1: I mean, that's a, it's a difficult one to answer. I, I can't predict the future, but personally, um, you know, I think we've seen a lot of this kind of conversation around developer productivity, especially over the last few years where uh, more and more people are working remotely and working from home and right in general. Uh, all the coverage that I've I've seen around this topic is, you know, everybody's more productive than they were, right? Um, companies are making more money. Uh, people are, you know, doing as much or more work in less time. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, it seems like a non-problem to me. Um, you know, we're, we're going to solve the problem of everyone's already very productive is a is a pretty uh, strange place to start from, but um, at the same time, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that this is going to to kind of get me to interact more with my colleagues, right? Mm. Um, uh, you know, the the kinds of things that 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 I've heard from uh, from other people is. Is that I miss being right in person next to someone? Uh, I'm not sure how this really uh, improves anything over the the state of right of video call like the one we're on now.
0: Yeah, and and I think about that because you know we we get on this call, and for those that don't know, we get on the call probably about thirty to forty five minutes before, and we're collaborating. We're going back and forth. We're talking about you know all the all the behind the scenes stuff, and. I don't know if a headset's going to bring anything to that. And when I look at it the other way, like we actually have some like Python projects that we work on together. I don't want to have a headache because I'm trying to solve a problem. And also because I'm trying to adjust my glasses to fit inside of a headset that's going to die every two hours. Like, And and it's not even a dig on the, the device itself. Like the device I have, I have an Oculus Quest and seeing... Oh, 40% lighter? Okay, that that sounds great. Like I I love that idea. But just the overall feeling of is this going to change how I write code, how I collaborate? I mean, unless unless they do some really fun stuff with people pointing at lines of code on a whiteboard, like I don't I don't see it changing. But you had a really good insight about like what does it actually take to change someone's like com- uh, how people at a company work? Like how do you how do you actively change that?
1: Uh re- rephrase that for me cuz I'm not recalling the specific point you're you're trying to bring up
0: i think you you had a comment about like all of this stuff is great but like it doesn't necessarily change like the culture of a company
1: oh sure yeah so this was uh, i think one of the things we were talking about in terms of um you know more th- more than just the headset was some of the like ai summarization of of meetings and things like that um and right at the end of the day right if you're having a meeting you know a company-wide meeting with However, many people on a Zoom call focused on one person, um, and whether they're on, you know, their laptop looking at their webcam or they're wearing a, a Quest headset, um, it's still it's still the same. Right, we're getting everybody into one big meeting uh, for you know an hour and a half to uh, to to have right two people come to a decision. Um, right, as as much as I I think the idea that this is going to fundamentally change how people work, um, is speculative at best. Right. Um, but then in addition to that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who are programmers would and and work professionally as programmers would say, right. I spend too much time in meetings, um, changing the location of that meeting probably isn't going to help that.
0: Yeah. And, and you kind of hinted at it like it there are there's like two battles there. It's not necessarily the battle for, you know, meetings in a different setting or meetings in a different scene. And I, I feel like that is the challenge of like some companies are like, we want to make sure that every meeting that's had has the most value brought to it, including maybe taking some people out of the room. And. I mean sure, yes that's great, but if you're still having a meeting, you know, if you're still spending 20 out of your 40 hours a week, you know, if in that that imaginary number that we we say is a work week, like if you're spending that much time in meetings, that's half of that time that goes towards, you know, reviewing issues, PRs, writing code, testing, documentation. And the thing that gets me is it's never the the big ticket or the flashy things that get sacrificed. It's all of the little things. All of the things that like, I don't want to say nobody wants to do, but a lot of people are like, "Ah, I mean, okay, I've got this meeting coming up. Oh, I'll get to the docs later. I'll get to the test later. And, And a lot of that isn't even like debt that's seen right then. It's technical debt that hurts people down the road for hours and days and and sometimes months. And, you know, you can't, you can't imagine how that productivity impacts someone that's not even at the company yet.
1: Yeah. And, you know, if you're going to bring up tech debt, uh, this is a, this is a sticking point of mine. We call so, so many things tech debt that are, um, far different kinds of liabilities, right? And not, not all tech liabilities are tech debt. And, right, if, uh, you know, to, to take the, the debt analogy, right, if you're going to not pay something off uh, because you got a meeting to attend, like, if that was actual, like,
0: financial debt, who's going to who's gonna allow you to do that? <laughs> yeah, I didn't pay my mortgage because I was in a meeting.
1: Yeah, there, there's no there's no good approach there for, right. We're going to just avoid doing the things that we need to do, like pay our mortgage or write our tests and docs um, because something else is, uh, is, you know, pushing us toward our arbitrary deadline, right? Not all deadlines are arbitrary, but uh, stuff gets sacrificed for arbitrary deadlines all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my other, uh, question about you know this this sort of thing. I know that uh, there's already been reports of uh, you know painfully low engagement, um, right? Even internally for for metaverse and and things like that. Um, but I guess I I don't have a good uh, frame for how this is actually supposed to change work, right? If it's if it's my actual day to day. Um, other than the meetings work, um, right? What are you and I going to do to to work together, right? Using Quest headsets, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe I'm just set in my ways, but
0: so most of the companies that are talking about you know metaverse or you know any type of augmented reality type of work. It usually comes with just that the augment so it's not necessarily like all of a sudden you're taken out of your office you're out of your desk and now you're you know in this world where dragons are flying over you while you're trying to go through like your your tickets for this sprint it's it's more of like okay i'm i'm working and now this headset is my desk and what it allows me to do is like reach out for things instead of sticky notes on my monitor it's sticky notes floating in the air so that I can be still immersed in what I'm doing until I look over and see like, oh, this is my ticket, tap that, and then I just finished it. And I get the desire for that, I I really do, but what I feel like is still missing is the. this is better than what I'm doing now kind of feeling. I feel like everyone is trying to convince us that what this is is better than what we're doing now. And in some ways they might be right. Uh, We're not really covering it too much, but in, in the Microsoft Ignite announcement, one of the things that they did was create avatars for people who can still feel like they're engaged in the conversation and that they have a presence there without actually having to turn on their camera. Like I think that there is some value to that, especially when we talk about you know, not you and I, like we get out, we roll out of bed, we turn on a camera and it's like, whatever. But I mean, there are people who want to make sure they have makeup on there are people that are concerned that they have poor lighting and and all these other things. So I can see how that avatar being there. And when someone starts talking, that avatar shows up instead of just a little circle. Like I can see how that gives people a sense of like, I participated in this meeting better than just the standard initials in a zoom call but i think that there's still a long way to go before that value add of like oh but also you can you know jump into your code and be standing on the lines and walk through it that way or there's actually a rubber duck that you can tap that somehow connects to like github copilot that's like oh did you mean this And like i, I don't i don't know if i don't know if That's going to do the fundamental changes. And I mean, I don't think anyone is straight up saying that, but I think that's what they're trying to get to is like, here's this thing that no one's thought of that you can now do in a metaverse. It's going to just grab your attention so that you can use it and be like, okay, that was fancy and stuff. But let's be honest, the only thing that really helps me in this is that I have this other thing that isn't as flashy, but it is kind of helpful. So that being said, let's let's jump into the other big tech event that happened this week. Which, uh, before we do that, I will say uh, we're talking about Microsoft. I work for Microsoft. Um, I'm gonna do my best to not let that sway anything that I say. But of course, I, I want to make sure that it it's clear um, that you know if bias does show up, that that might be why. Um, but Microsoft Ignite happened, and you know. Obviously, I sat through the the really long presentation. It's like a full day thing. Um, and there were a couple of things that I wanted to talk about kind of in that same vein of what can companies do to make the technology, uh, I guess, a little bit more helpful for Python developers. And I'm not going to give you this. The, the book of news, if you want to see all the things that happened, is a really great uh, thing that you can check out. I will just copy that link and put it in the in the chat because, again, it's a lot. A lot of stuff happened over like two days, but one of the things that they had announced was this idea of Cosmos DB now allowing for Postgres uh, SQL commands, and Cosmos DB is Azure, Microsoft Azure's like NoSQL data structure. And they've always done some stuff that allows for like SQL queries in NoSQL. As someone who started programming with NoSQL, like my first database that I ever used, I think outside of SQLite was MongoDB. To me, this is interesting because I often struggled. I, I often struggled with this idea of like, okay, if I'm doing certain kinds of things, then NoSQL was the way to go. But then like, Often I'm just grabbing data that's JSON and I just want to grab that. So now I have to create some like, like unstructured to like structural database like mapper and all this other stuff. The idea of this is take data as it is, NoSQL, JSON, Python dictionary, or whatever, throw it into a database and use it as if it were a database. And to me, I think that while DB admins, SQL admins, the people who get really upset when you start trying to compare SQL and NoSQL databases, I don't think they're going to use this. But the people I do think that are going to use this are the people who have some pretty simple data and just want to get a proof of concept done, that want to just not have to think about what type of data am I working with? How do I structure it? Uh, John, what do you, who, who does this kind of technology help? Yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there, um, right?
1: When I'm gonna be taking a, you know, a database into production, that's gonna, that that's a good fit for a SQL database, whether it's Postgres or some other um, other SQL option, you know, that that fits those needs well, right? Once something is all spun up and, right, you're you've you've got a normal to develop a developer workflow where you know you're, you're doing your SQL migrations um, through you know maybe maybe it's through a framework like Django's orM or, or SQL alchemy um, right that leads to right some some of the more um, expected performance characteristics and uh, well-established workflows that exist already but uh, you know I've, I've worked with a lot of people who aren't doing that day to day they they don't want to deal with right um, I got this big batch of data from somewhere and and I just want to get information about it right it's yeah. it's more information than is reasonable for me to right just kind of like read through a file um, and I think one of the uh, most interesting things here is you said it's compatible with uh, postgres or postgres' it's queries, right yeah which means it's going to be usable by a bunch of different uh, tools that are already built out to use Postgres, right? And that, that's where I think a lot of the um, a lot of the power comes from uh, when when you're you're saying, hey, we have this 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 new thing, and there are other tools that aim to work against existing APIs like that all the time. Um, one of the bigger examples, is, right, Amazon S three, yeah. Um, if you've got an object storage API, chances are it's compatible with S3s, uh, and that means that now I don't have to sell this as right. I want to take this new tool and build out a bunch of stuff, you know, a bunch of custom logic that that I didn't previously have to work with in order to use it. I can dump, you know, a whole bunch of data into into a place and use something that already gives me. Uh, you know those those helper functions, those those kind of query li- uh, querying libraries that that can make me even more productive um, without worrying about. Right now, I'm going to figure out how does this data all actually have to be structured to fit together correctly. Um, and so, you know, students, hobbyists, somebody working on proofs of concepts, um, anything that is that is really. Uh, you know, not in that uh, state of, I want this production ready, um, you know, SQL setup that already follows my normal developer practices. Um, yeah. I, I think that kind of approach is a, is a really great solution for
0: One of the other things that I think about with this, and I'm, I'm trying to make sure I keep a salesman hat off on, on this one, is the idea of like multi-cloud solutions, uh, you know, we we live in a time where if if a cable that's running in the Atlantic Ocean all of a sudden goes down like half of the websites on like that most people go to also go down and one of the things that a lot of companies have tried to do to to kind of create more site reliability is this idea of we don't need to go with one cloud provider so then you see you know, AWS and Azure and GCP being used interchangeably. And I think, like you said with S3, I think this allows for maybe a little bit easier navigation of information between those services. I, again, I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily think it's a, a general win for one, you know, product or company or versus the other. I think what it does is it allows you to take information that exists in one way, and move it over quickly with especially when something like site reliability speed is the name of the game like it's it is something went down i need things going from one pipe to another pipe as fast as possible we can even deal with a little bit of degradation of service as long as the whole thing doesn't go down if that just means i'm taking raw log data i don't have to worry about putting a schema in front of it. I just want to throw that data in and trust that it's going to work to some effect without having to add, you know, 10 more SREs to just focus on this one scenario of like, Oh, I need these SREs focusing on AWS. These SREs focusing on Azure, these SREs focusing on GCP. Like if it's just, I have some data, the data was going here. It had all its transformers there. Oops. That went down. Now it's going somewhere else. And it's, it's fine. Like we're there. To me, I think that solutions like this, solutions like the S3 one, as you mentioned, these are great. And I, I honestly think that we're seeing more and more companies kind of move towards this, like, let's standardize on how do we all read the same data? Um, Apple announced some stuff with like Matter, which is a way that, you know, multiple home IoT stuff can interact regardless of what service you're using. And it's not just Apple doing that. It's Apple. It's AWS. It's, it's you know, I think even Google is a part of this as well. So whether you use an Echo, whether you use a HomePod, whether you use a Nest Hub, you can call out your home speaker of choice and things will just work. And they work in intero- their what's the word? Interoperable uh, with one another. I hope that you know, I'm, you know, again, me being a Microsoft employee, I'm kind of glad that that we're doing this because, you know, we're going to talk about something that a lot of companies are doing now that I know that you're not the biggest fan of, uh, but it, it happens when one company says we're going to do a thing. The other companies are soon to follow. So them saying, hey, we're going to support data structured, non-structured. You just put the data in and we're going to work with it in how whatever query language you, you want to throw at us. I'm looking forward to all of the services bringing that.
1: Yeah, and and I do want to, um, you know, not paint this to be a uh, more perfect picture than it is, right? Yeah. Um. As as much as API interoperability is great, um, you know, often what happens is once you get past you know those first few examples, <laughs> the, the the stuff that's tested well in the docs, right? it uh you you run into those little behavioral quirks that are that are different in you know this backend versus uh versus postgres and uh you know one of the big um reasons why you see people use um ORMs right is like it, it abstracts away right the database backend right i can i can use this ORM and now I'll, I'll run my migration files, and they'll work against whatever database I want, um, except as soon as you, right, uh, for, for, for Django, for example, um, you know, there's, there's a package of Postgres-specific utilities. And, right, as soon as you import something from that, n- you can throw out all of the notions of, uh, na- now this is gonna be completely compatible across all the databases, right? And so, um, super helpful still, uh, but but it is one of those things where uh, you're you're going to get to a point where you need to start saying, well, you know, the behavior of these databases is, is differing now, and I have to pick which direction I'm going. Um, and so that that'll be a thing that uh, that that people will run into, and um, it's a it's a common project I've been you know, a part of a bunch of different times of like, hey, we built this thing out using these technologies uh, that, you know, are maybe not used elsewhere in our company's software stack. So we need to productionalize it and move it to, you know, the 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 tooling that we can already support. Um, and, and I think that's the kind of, uh, you know, stage of a project that people are going to have to prepare for if they're, um, you know, if they're using tools like this as kind of like a, a shortcut to get me to a, a shareable result faster that may or may not be right, the
0: real end game. I, I totally agree with you. And one of the other things that we I wanted to, to kind of talk about with some of the things that got announced, I'm, I'm trying to find it in the... Oh, here we go. Uh, was this new, this new product that... Microsoft is calling Syntex, which, not Syntax, <laughs> Synt- Syntex. Uh, and, and the idea of Syntex is that there are certain services that will take advantage of the partnership that Microsoft has with OpenAI in GPT-3 uh, to ease the process of creating different solutions. and And, I mean, we're talking about things like You know, doing stuff like Power Automate, where, for those that don't know, kind of like a drag and drop methodology for automating different tasks across Office three hundred and sixty five and outside of it. Um, And the reason I want to talk about this is this actually goes into an area that I'm passionate about outside of my job, which is like automation. Um, I'm an automation person. That that's a thing that I like to do in my free time is make my blinds go up and down and all that stuff. But like we actually have tools that we use now, like in my job to help consolidate all of the, the information that comes in on a regular basis. I work on a team where our job is to hear what people are talking about in the Python community and there's a lot. Again, Python's one of the, it's one of the largest languages on the planet. It's taught in schools. There are people asking tons of questions and I want to be there to answer some of those or at least provide ideas of what kind of content we need to bring in next. So what we do is we have a bunch of RSS feeds that just you know, all get consolidated and then get brought to us in kind of digest form. And, you know, there's websites that we can go to where we can click and say, okay, take out all the Reddit stuff, take out all the Stack Overflow stuff, give me everything that uses these words. And we're compiling all of that, not with, you know, feed parser, we're using Power Automate because it's just faster to get off the ground. And, you know, John, I, being, being the person where I get to talk to you a lot, you know, we we talk about the idea of what is the role of, you know, AI assisted development and all these other things. And to me, this is one that I kind of like. I, I, you know, I I, I don't want to challenge you because, but I, I, I would say that in some of the other areas where you have questions on attribution and licensing and things like that, this to me is the step that I hope that tech companies can go into.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think attribution
0: is a is a
1: really critical part of it, um, and you know, I'll I'll say that in the context of things like um, GitHub Copilot, for example, right? Uh, if if you go and you look at some of the criticism of GitHub Copilot. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that people bring up is, look, I've been able to reconstruct a particular source code file, uh, by, by starting with a, uh, you know, a a set of strings for GitHub code pilot to, to complete against. And, um, you know, I don't think that that is the specific, um, the, the 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 only case where where attribution is is necessary i think it's just the most illustrative one right yeah. because when when you can do that when you can say right i'm going to start this file and you know it you know this automation tool ends up with a um, a a particular uh, source code file from an existing open source project uh, or maybe an existing proprietary project uh it's it's easy to say well look this produced this thing that i can verify came from somewhere else um, because it's it's otherwise unique um and that that kind of brings to the front uh the 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 fact that we have to talk about attribution right yeah it's not just that attribution uh is 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 a thing in these cases where look here's this one exact source file that i reproduced from a particular uh uh open source project but it's what that suggests about the rest of it right um because it won't always be obvious right and and you know you see you see this all the time where people are like oh i copied this function from this place um and a lot of people will leave a little comment that says you know look this came from uh, you know this Python script I found at this github link uh, but when all of that is kind of stripped out by design um, it, it makes it you know a, a difficult tool to to work with you know both ethically and uh, potentially legally right because yeah. um, right at the end of the day if I'm using a tool like this right um, I think that I'm the person that's going to have to answer for it if it uh, if, if it does you know get into a, a troubling situation right. Um, but automation is great. You know, yeah. At the same time, um, and so I think there are ways to to approach this. Uh, we're just kind of in the early and very hectic days of it still.
0: Yeah, and and I I was thinking about this. More as I actually had a conversation with uh, someone who's in the chat right now. Shout out to Kojo, uh, who I I get to hang out with in a few days at DjangoCon. I mentioned we were sponsoring that. Uh, I just want to, I'm like proud of my, like, I'm proud of us. Like, hey, we're sponsoring a conference. That's kind of dope. But one of the things that I think that, you know, we talked about this with the meta conversation as well of like, there's that end of the road thing that, like, this is going to be the thing that helps a lot of these tools kind of grow and become more useful. And I really, I really think that some of the direction that they're going with some of this AI assistance stuff is, is going to be beneficial. And again, I'm, I'm saying this with all of the disclaimers of like, yes, I work for the company that, that puts this stuff out and I haven't talked to PR about this. So like, I'm trying to watch what I say carefully, but I, I wanted to I wanted to kind of get your opinion on some of these things that I don't think a lot of people are talking about when it comes to AI assistance and a lot of these are actually new because they were they were just announced this week. So the first one is the idea of you know we talked about power automate and it's this idea of you have a bunch of cards if anyone's used a tool like um, Zapier or like I think Trello has like this automation style now as well. I'm not sure about the other cloud providers. I don't use them all that often. Um, But you have this idea of like, okay, when an RSS, you know, entry gets added, send me an email. Sometimes we overthink how easy it is to say, let me go to the RSS card. Let me add that tie in. Let me go change a couple of values. And then now let me go to the email thing. Let me set up my SMTP information and all of that stuff and then let me connect those two things together. Is it okay to just be able to say when a new article from BBC comes in, email these three people and then have all of those connections be set up and know that that was done using OpenAI or GPT-3 technology? Well, I'm gonna
1: uh, do a very, very quick aside and say,
0: uh, <laughs> By kingdom for a
1: su- suitable Yahoo Pipes replacement, uh, because so many of these problems uh, were were so trivially solved with it, and it was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on it depends on the context, right? Yeah. Because uh, if you were to say, go find some code that was open source and the license allowed for this and just grab the, you know, the piece of code that says, get, uh, you know, fetch from RSS and the piece of code that says email three people and glue them together. That's a lot of what, what we do as Python programmers, right? Python's a great glue language and it's, and it's just connect all these pieces, uh, to end up with a, you know, a pipeline of, uh, of, of automations that gets you the result you want, but, uh, the issues really arise where, um, you know, we already talked a bit about attribution, mm-hmm. uh, but also, right, the terms of the license might not allow you to, um, right, take that and redistribute it
0: under yeah. whatever
1: license you're using. Right. And so there are, um, th- there are a lot of, right. I, th- I think that the, the concept is great. Right. Yeah. Uh, because it's programming, and and you know we talked about this uh, a while back, uh, you know just you and I, but you know code isn't syntax; they're not the same yeah. thing, right? And um, th- there was a, a, a recent um, interview that I recall, uh, I think maybe with Simon Willison talking about, um, you know what what this looks like now as constructing prompts for. Uh, for these ai tools and mm-hmm. right that's code it is and and it's it's code that we might not totally understand yet um but at the end of the day you're you're writing an instruction that causes a computer to do something and give you back a result um and so i i don't really see this as as any different um and i and i think it would be you know a, a super useful tool if um if approached uh, you know, under all the licensing terms and and, and yeah. things like that. And I think there will be legal conversations uh, about where these tools go in the future. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll see when those legal conversations happen in terms of when they become, when, when the tools become widespread. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the law tends to lag behind. So, so we're going to see a lot, a lot more of this kind of conversation before we actually see, um, you know anyone anyone really challenging it uh, in in any sort of you know law situation?
0: Yeah, and and I only have one more, and I'm gonna I'm gonna keep it brief because we got one more topic before we get to the the conference rounds here. Uh, uh, this was a tool that it's it's been available for like demo, but I think they officially announced a little bit more information about it. But it's the idea of Copilot Labs, uh, and. At this point, I'm assuming that people know what Copilot is. If you give it a prompt, it gives you some code. Uh, It tends to understand what language you're using and things like that. It uses GPT-3 to do all that, and this is where a lot of those conversations about licensing and attribution come into play. Um, Copilot Labs is designed to do something a little different. This is where you take code that you have, and you select it, and when you give it to Copilot Labs, it gives you a synopsis of what this code is doing. Um, and to me, I thought of this as a great tool for beginners. Uh, you know, I don't wanna say junior developers, I wouldn't say like people who are just getting started in code, uh, people who are new to a company and they're like, you just gave me all this legacy code. Now I gotta figure out what all this legacy code is doing. And like, I wanna be able to select this and kind of get a, a good breakdown of kind of what's happening based on, you know, localized knowledge, localized interpretation and things like that. Um, more than anything, John, I wanted to to kind of get your opinion on what are what are some of the areas where you can see this being extremely helpful and maybe not as uh, polarizing in terms of is this okay? Is this not okay? Yeah, I
1: mean, I think that any any context, I would use that day to day. Right? Um, what the heck does this line of code do? Because <laughs> uh you know, I, I can't follow any of this code that I wrote six months ago or Jay and, wrote it you know, two years um, ago <laughs> and and so that that's gonna be certainly super helpful. Uh, and there are kind of um you know more purpose specific uh, uh, and not AI backed tools that will do things like, Tell me what this regex says, or tell me what uh, what this crontab says. Right, uh, there's there's a crontab tool that um, people use uh, pretty regularly because you know I, I've got this line that says five stars in it, and what does that mean? Right, because it's easy to swap those and forget what place uh, a a a value goes into. Um, and so there's absolutely you know great great potential for uh, things that tell you, right, explainers is is basically what we're coming down to here, right, is a, a tool that explains any particular piece of code to you. Um, you know, I'm sure it'll suffer from the the same errors that any other one does, though, is like, is this correct? Are there weird corner cases where this, this tells me something that's actually different from what, what the code is going to do? Um, and that might be for a bunch of reasons, right it yeah. might be uh, because there's a problem in the tool it might be because the the library that it's summarizing is buggy. Um, and and so, you know, I, I don't think it's ever going to replace right um, going going through code line by line by yourself, but um, certainly uh, a, as a as an assistant, as an aid to, right really, Grokking a code base, um, which is a huge part of the job, right? Is knowing what what's actually happening here before you modify it. Um, I, I'm 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 in favor of those tools, and I think that it's. Um, I, so this this tool is new to me, um, and I I think that it'll be. Uh, I'd I'd want to see more information about like how it actually works, right? Um, because. Um, you know, it, I'm I'm tempted to say that there's a similar attribution conversation there, right? How does it know what the what the code does? But there might not be enough of a kind of creative work to really make that um, uh, a, a conversation worth happening, worth having.
0: Yeah, and, and one of the things that it I mean it does is it, it can also take code in one language and kind of spit out what it would look like in another language, which I think that's where it comes to like the reaching out and grabbing, you know, or you know, working off of its trained data there. Um I think ultimately what you're trying to say, and, and I fully agree with you is that we want we want to make sure that like, you know, we're not going to immediately say that all of these solutions are bad or all these solutions are good, but we, we want to make sure that there's a level of responsibility that is uh, brought and that those conversations can keep being had because, you know, we don't have an AI bill of rights and we don't have this like blueprint for, you know, ethical usage of AI or do we? John, you you brought this next topic into uh, to my attention. I actually didn't know about this.
1: Yeah, Jay, this is this is super interesting, and I definitely want to get your your thoughts on it because I think you've done uh, some related work here. Uh, but yeah. this is uh, an announcement that the White House made, uh, along with a bunch of other tech-related um, uh, kind of guidance. Uh, so, I, so I don't think there's. Right. This isn't. This isn't. You know, some law has passed or or anything like that. It's. It's just like these are the kinds of things we need to be thinking about in the context of um, big tech and how that applies to, um, you know, people's rights. Right. And and so this in in particular uh, talks about uh, a, a variety of topics. One is. Um, Uh, sorry about that. Uh, one is uh, privacy, right? So, yeah. what what you do with uh, with the data that, uh, or what what you what companies are allowed to do with the data that they collect? Um, so, if I if I give you data for a particular reason, um, uh, and this kind of bleeds over into the next topic, which is uh, notice, right? Um, if i give you data to to process a a specific thing you can't then go and dump that into your your ai system for some completely other reason right um, and uh there there's a a big portion of this at least in my reading of it is uh is safety and uh and discrimination right so um these are right systems that are going to increasingly uh of dictate how our world works um, and uh, there are you know there are already problems with how our world works and when you when you automate all that and when you you ramp up the scale and speed at which those things can happen um, you know there, there's a lot of fun things we have to be uh, you know take caution with
0: I think if we use like fancy titles, like automating the world's problems, like we didn't say away, we just said we're automating them. <laughs> um, I, I definitely agree with you, and, and you know, as you mentioned, this is one of the things that I have, you know, I'm passionate about in general. Of just like, okay, we have this data, how are we using it? One, how is my data being used? But then also, who has access to this data? Uh, we we talked about it a couple of weeks ago but you know they also announced that you know public and scientific data that's used for federal studies also has to be made public and this is this is more of this this is just defining and kind of modernizing how uh, the federal government at least in the United States looks and takes an approach to the information of its citizens and I think that, you know, if you thought that GDPR was going to go away, no, we're, we're adding on to it. And the thing that I really like about this is not only the idea of, I can't even say the words now, algorithmic discrimination protection, which is like, you know, there are companies that, that do a lot around ethical AI and creating ethical AI studies and testing for, you know, implicit bias and unconscious bias in algorithms and things like that but also this idea of how do we make sure that this information that we're using in one way isn't being distorted or capitalized in another way i mean we we talk about you know large companies in the us and we we always hear this word about monopoly and i think that data monopolies are definitely possible like you can have this company that just has so much information about you they can they can track where you shop they can track your doctor's appointments they can track or not even your doctor's appointments because you know hipaa and stuff but like they can track you know where you are versus what types of things you buy and you know we've we've heard of these nightmare scenarios where like parents have found out about like you know teenage pregnancy because of the shopping habits of the child and whether or not that's okay and i i think that what we have to to do is first get to that level of of modernization where we can say like okay this is what you can actually do with this data and i think once we've done that we can then move into the the next step of that which is like what should we not be allowing people to do with this data now that we know that it's possible? And, you know, not not even to think about it from a term of like ageism or like, you know, regulators not being as tech savvy as we are. There's so much stuff happening. I'm in my 30s and I don't even understand what's happening half the time. and And, you know, stuff just changes so rapidly that I think. Having kind of these core foundations, I don't want to say like the the AI, was it the law of robotics? Uh, I don't think we're at that point yet. We don't need like the, you know, going down that that path. But I do think that the more that we can start to say, okay, governmental bodies, did you know that connecting these things are possible? Let's put a baseline in of like, you shouldn't be able to say where people eat and what medicines they're on should be a sellable thing. Like if if we start with things like that, if if we can start saying if piece A and piece B are thrown together, people can capitalize off that, but it also comes with these unexpected consequences that the individual person didn't consent to. uh, And they may not even appreciate being tied to them.
1: And Jay, I know you've done work around uh, kind of, gathering data to tell stories with right um and i I think i'd be super interested in your opinion from from that perspective of like what kind of data is out there and and how that's gonna leak into these sorts of systems and 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 i think that's part of the impetus of of you know this sort of guidance from the government
0: yeah i mean one of the things that i mean we were talking about this just earlier this week and and you don't we don't need the the screen on now you know one of the things that i i'm doing for this talk that you know is happening on monday is we looked at the idea of hey let's take census data and match it to where conferences should be held and we we talked about things like implicit bias we talked about education rates and things like that and you know, when you look at the the geographic diversity of a place and you look at the, the racial diversity of that same location and you look at the cost of living, plus what venues are available, what you start to notice is that there are a larger, you know, congregation of diverse cultures in larger cities, but those cities are also significantly more expensive, which starts to challenge a lot of questions of like, hey, why is it that we do conferences in these places that aren't the biggest city in a state, but like the second biggest? And it's because, well, conferences tend to be cheaper in those areas, but those places also tend to have a monoculture or more of a monoculture. And then when you start looking at those things versus health and safety, you know, I can talk about this being from California and having done research on this, A police officer in a major city has to report their perception of a person's age, gender, and sexual orientation with every single stop that they do. And what we start to see are these things of implicit bias that pop up where people who are are perceived as trans, not even are identified as trans because the state of California doesn't have... Like a transgender tag on a driver's license. It's just the perception of someone being trans tends to correlate to longer stop times. And this isn't like on average, this is like across the board. And a lot of that tends to do with like ID verification of things. A lot of this has to do with, you know, things that they might have in the car with them. So when you think of like someone who might have medication in the car with them and someone who's trans that might be on hormone therapy like you start to see like all of these bells and whistles turning of like now a person's being stopped and asked about the medication that's you know in the seat next to him because they just went to cvs because it's not tylenol it's not something it's it's you know just a bag and then you think about how maybe that corresponds to people with mental health which is a very non-visible thing and you start saying oh wow If my police officer can do all of that stuff with their eyes and Jay can find out about all this data, how did Jay find out about it? Well, all this data is public and they also have where the stops took place, which means if you have a cell phone, that cell phone data can look at that exact same place and go, let me look at everybody in this area that got stopped for this type of information And maybe when people are in that area, maybe we serve them ads for the medications that they may have been stopped with. And I'm not saying that that's what's happening. I'm saying that that's legitimately what is possible using data that's already out there and that is required by law to be given and given publicly. So you have to have companies that, you know, you have to be able to tell companies like, hey, we do this because we want citizens to be able to know what's, you know how their you know their law enforcement is acting but that doesn't give you permission to then use that data to then serve them ads and you know again it's not that i'm not saying that any company is doing this but again i can look at how i would piece those things together and actually do it and like write the code to do it So if me just sitting in my little office where I don't get paid to do any of this stuff, if I can just sit there and go, well, huh, I have this data and I have this data and you know, some company might have this data. I can take all that together and do something with it. Like, okay. If I can think of that, I'm sure people who get paid to think about this kind of stuff could also think of that.
1: And you know, if we, if we end up with, uh, our, our worst problems being, we have to regulate advertisers better. Um, I, I think that's a, that that's a pretty pretty rosy outlook of, uh, you know, where, where some of this data can go. Yeah. Um, uh, I did have, I know we're short on time, but I did have one more question for you related sure. to this, which is, um, right. We've got these two competing things, right. We've got all of these automation tools that are backed by, by AI, as well as, you know, th- this guidance that right is isn't necessarily binding, but. Is 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 kind of a maybe news of of what's to come um, Mm -hmm. around right? How you have to approach using these sorts of tools. Uh, And so, what do you think that's going to do in terms of someone whose day to day is is building these systems, right? How does that change their uh, you know their their actual workflow around you know I want to create this cool new tool to. Uh, to, you know, aggregate a bunch of data and, and, and do something novel with it.
0: You know, thinking about it, you know, as you say it, (laughs) because I'm like, oh, that's, that's a good question. One of the things that I think about is the idea of uh, a board of kind of a board of digital ethics. You know, often we, we hear about, you know, companies will have a board of ethics of like, okay, if we do this, you know, are we, or they'll have like a, environmental board, like, hey, make sure the stuff that we're doing isn't, you know, increasing our carbon footprint by, you know, 75%, because that would naturally be bad, especially for larger companies. But I think what we have to do is obviously, you know, lawyers are going to keep getting paid. Um, That's one thing that we can we can definitely agree on is that, you know, technical lawyers, uh, even the PSF has one, like, it's going to create an kind of an industry of knowledge that isn't really there right now. I mean, we we talk often about, you know, what are the things that people need to get into, you know, Python or in, into tech in general. I really hope that what it does is it shifts towards the, it's not whether or not you can, uh, I call it Goldblum's law. Like it's, you know, we we spent too much time thinking about how, whether or not we could do it to, to stop and think about whether or not we should. And I think that once, you have this system, and we've already seen that with GDPR. You start seeing companies hit with you know multiple billions of dollars in fines. I think once you add on to that of like, okay, now the U.S. is also doing it, and other countries are doing it. We're going to have to start asking people, how do we build these systems to where we were not on the hook for this data, and. I think about that now. Like I've, I've built tools where like I built this demo, it has user accounts. And then all of a sudden I'm getting an email that says, Hey, this could be a possible GDPR violation. You need to start doing like all of this record keeping and all these other things. And I'm like, you know what, how about I just remove user accounts from this service and just make it so that the data is, you know, available for free or available without a a sign in requirement. And, the other side of that is, I I can't say for certain, but I think if we put barriers to how you can use a person's data, I think the data itself becomes not as lucrative as companies currently value it. Uh, we talk about the idea of like TV companies, even TV companies, you know, take data on what you're watching and they make more money off of that than they do your actual cable bill if they're not allowed to do that anymore now all of a sudden it's a lot harder to say i'm just going to sell like i'm, I'm going to collect this data it, it means nothing to me and in fact i'm now having to pay people to collect this data that is not as valuable as, you know, the salaries that I'm paying these people to collect the data, you know, with. So my hope is that it drives the cost of of personal information down. And if it does that, well, we're going to see people have to think about, like, the, the implications of the way that they're writing their code. But I think we'll also see a lot of people focusing on hey don't don't put this stuff in here don't don't even bring this up because this is going to be more expensive to us if we get fined then it's going to cost then we're going to benefit from just having it and maybe profiting off of it i hope that answers the question in some way there
1: i'm sure we could go on this topic for you know another hour but um Uh, But we are, I think, over our normal time already. Uh, We do have
0: a bunch of conferences. Yeah.
1: I want to talk about.
0: I I don't think people realize that, you know, around fall is when you start getting all the announcements for conferences. So if, and I see a couple of people in the chat now that I know have been thinking about CFPs. Well, we have plenty of conferences and CFP (laughs) announcements for you. So let's jump right in. The first one is Pajamas Conf, which is now available. You can register and get your tickets. Uh, I've talked about this pajama. Uh, pajama is one of my favorite conferences because it's the only one where I can crawl out of bed, be in pajamas, give a talk about Python, and go right back to sleep. And everybody be like, "Well, yeah, that was expected." Um, it's very laid back, very chill. Uh, and they announced that their conference is the 26th and 27th. But also, you can now register for that event. Um, And up next is we we have a conference that is set to be a ton of fun. John? Yeah,
1: Bang Bang Con has been around a number of years now and is uh, pretty unique in the world of conferences. Um, There are all sorts of uh, yeah, just fun and and delightful uh, talks that happen here. Um, And tickets are now on sale. Uh, so uh, we we got a link that we'll uh, send out in the newsletter. Um, so subscribe to that if you haven't already. Uh, but uh, get your tickets to Bang Bang Con. Um, this is a a, a super um, yeah just just unique and delightful event uh, that I think a lot of other conferences strive to be like.
0: Yeah, and definitely of super diverse uh, cast of speakers. It tends to be every single year. So. Uh, excited about that, November 12th and 13th. Check that out. Uh, on the international side, we have PyCon Hong Kong, is uh, just got announced. Uh, or, sorry, didn't just get announced. Tickets are on sale. Uh, the event is October 29th. If you're in the Hong Kong area or you want to check it out online, go ahead and grab your tickets there. Uh, this entire group of like PyCon APAC uh, conferences are always. Like, interesting because you know, we we tend to think about things from this like US centric focus, and like stuff that they're doing out there is just always super amazing and super fun. So, yeah, PyCon Hong Kong is another one, and then we also have PyConf Hyderabad. Uh, this Uh, one, I'm gonna be bad with geography and say I can't remember where Hyderabad is. (laughs) Uh,
1: This, this is a in, in India I can't yep. I can't give any more uh, more specifics there I'm terrible at geography uh, yeah. as well it's always my worst trivia category uh, yeah. but yeah their their conference um, is uh, recently announced and also uh, so in addition to uh, I believe you can get tickets the the CFP is open for uh, about three more weeks maybe maybe three and a half um, yeah. so uh, again, link in the newsletter, uh, but go go check out uh, PyConf Hyderabad in uh, in December tenth and eleventh. They've got one day of
0: talks and one day of workshops. Yeah, and then kind of a, a new one. the The site isn't even up yet, uh, but we we got the tweet. Uh, JupyterCon is coming up, and you know I feel like Jupyter notebooks and you know I think they were originally called like IPython notebooks. Uh, such a big Uh, space. Uh, And I I was talking to someone who's an IT admin earlier today, and they were talking about wanting to do more with Jupyter Notebooks because they feel like it's it's more approachable. Well, JupyterCon is coming. It will be back in the spring of 2023. Um, They're going to be giving out announcements and dates and things. So this is like the announcement for the announcement. Uh, So if you're not following Project Jupyter, you should be, uh, and you can learn more about what is happening there. And then I think we have one more, which is Pi Texas.
1: Yeah, Pi Texas is uh, so they've just announced their uh, their location and dates. So they're going to be back at uh, the Austin Central Library. Um, I believe it is April first and second uh, in twenty twenty three.
0: Yep. And, and I spoke at uh, Pi Texas last year, uh, and it was at the same same venue. And I will say that is a, a beautiful venue, beautiful scenery. You can kind of see some on the website there. Lots of greenery. Uh, it's a great little conference in, you know, in Austin. Um, I think eventually it'll probably move to some other locations, but at least for this year and last year, it's going to be in Austin. Uh, feel free to go check that out. Never know. you might You might catch one of us there again. Um, But I think that is going to do it for this week. John, um, did we forget anything?
1: I'm sure we forgot plenty, Uh, (laughs) but, but we'll cover that next week.
0: Yeah, and by the way, if we did forget something, if you're sitting there screaming at your screen right now, as we mentioned before, you can follow the new Twitter account. That is at Pi Community News, all one word. Um, and let us know. Tell us, hey, you forgot about this link. Maybe it'll appear in next week's episode. Um, But that is going to do it for this week. Uh, I've been Jay Miller. I'm John Bonifato. And this is the Python Community News.